Some small celebrations. Yes, Tom has already mentioned the smell of paint in the air. Uh, if you go out in the courtyard, you can smell ligustrum, but that has no, uh, it's no contest compared to the smell of paint in a building when we're trying to rebuild. So uh, there's paint on the walls in the sanctuary, and no, sorry, you can't get in there. It's all blocked off. You can't get in there to look at it. Um, but there is paint going up, and after paint comes flooring, and after flooring comes people. So we're making progress. Um, uh, Awana, three new children Wednesday night. Two children signed up Thursday morning to start coming this coming Wednesday night. So next Sunday, the small celebration will hopefully be at least two new children in, in Awana. Three new students in our youth group. Youth group had a total of 26 kids la uh, Wednesday night. Tom sent me, yep, you can clap. I'm always going to let you clap. Tom sent me a picture from that same date, well, yesterday, five years ago, and we had nine students five years ago. Uh, now we have 26. Of those nine students that were here five years ago, only one is still here. So all of these students are either new or have moved up from the children's department. Uh, we had, now this is going to excite you, I know, uh, we had an ad hoc accounting audit yesterday. I know, calm down. Uh, you all wish you could have been here for that. Um, not everybody can, I know. Uh, where we, we hadn't had one, our constitution calls for it every year. We hadn't had one in 10 or more. And uh, we spent uh, oh, three, four, four and a half, five hours yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting lots of fives. Five hours, there we go. Uh, yesterday, doing an audit, uh, some of the stewardship committee and uh, uh, one other person came in to help us. And uh, we found no major issues. That's a small celebration considering what we've been through with our accounting and finances over the last three or four years. Uh, we did find... Uh, some ways we can do things better, and that's always good to look at it and go, all right, we can do this better and that better and something else better. So small celebrations, things are happening, things are, things are moving in a positive, positive direction. So take your Bibles, turn to Philippians, that's where you want to go. Chapter 4, we're in verses 15 through 20, I'll read all the way through 23 just to uh, get the end of the, the letter where Paul sends his greetings. The message today is the joy of giving. Now, Paul here ends this, his letter with, with warm friendship. Uh, he, he ends it with encouragement to the church at Philippi. He ends it with thankfulness for what they've done. He's, he's covered a, a lot of ground in, in these four chapters that we've been looking through. But the the theme, as we know, has been the joy of partnership, his joy in, uh, in having them partner with him, their joy in partnering and seeing the work, this, this tri-bond, basically, between him, the church of Philippi, and Jesus that, that creates a family out of that group. And he wraps up uh, the, the letter, last Sunday and this Sunday for us, but this these last two paragraphs, verses 10 through 20, in a lesson about the joy of giving. We talked about it some last week, but he, he, uh, Paul continues in, in this last uh, few verses. Now, I have never been good at asking for money. Uh, I, I knew a pastor who had no problem. Uh, I almost enjoyed it. Anytime something needed to be bought or paid for, there were a few people in the church that he, he had no problem going, hey, we need $30,000, $40,000, and they did it. I, that's just not me. I, I, I do not, I'm not comfortable doing that, um, and I, I've never, I'm not, I'm not good at it. So, Paul here throughout his ministry, as a matter of fact, has never asked for money for himself. As a matter of fact, he has told them repeatedly, 
I don't want y'all supporting me because here's the thing. If y'all are supporting me, that might, could possibly lead you to having the idea that you control me. Now, I can, I'm going to go to an aside here for just a second. If you're on social media and you've seen anything that I've posted lately, you know that there is an issue with the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee of not obeying the expressed will of the messengers at the annual meeting. We are probably going to have an opportunity to talk about this a little bit more in the future, but just to let you know. And there are hundreds, probably thousands of churches who are considering letting their money talk to the executive committee. Not, for, for this very reason that Paul didn't want to be supported by churches. Because money does. Uh, and, and they know, Paul knew, you're going to have an idea that you can get me to do something if you support me. Well, in fact, that can be true. But Paul also knew that money did not matter. If he was in God's will, money wasn't an issue. God would take care of it. If, if church X or person B didn't want to support what was going on, well, fine. If, if he was in God's will, God would take care of all that. The heart of Paul was not to ask for money. That wasn't his purpose. That wasn't why he was writing this letter. And that's, not, that's also not why he wrote this tail end of this letter. He, he, it, his heart was never to berate them for not giving. Though if you go back and read uh, the letter to the church in Corinth, he got pretty tough with them. But he got tough with them not because they wouldn't give or because he needed the money. As a matter of fact, he got tough with them because they wouldn't send money to help the poor and the folks suffering from a famine in Jerusalem. He got tough with them because of their stinginess, because of their greed, not because he needed money in any way. Paul instead actually encourages giving for giving's own sake. He, he, we talked about that last week uh, when we said, I don't do this out of need. Um, I, I make do with little. I'm well fed. All this. I'm able to do all things right. You did well by partnering. Partnering. Uh, I rejoiced because you renewed your care. You renewed your partnership with me. He's going to cover that again today when we see the joy in giving. Paul wanted folks to give because of what it did for them, not because of what it did for him. Philippians 4, 15 through, well, like I said, we'll just go to the end of the letter. And you Philippians... Know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. No church partnered with me. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit, I seek the fruit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full. And I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, a, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God our, and uh, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Paul understood that they were giving for themselves. By giving to him, they were crediting their account. He had all he needed he had gotten this gift. This is for you. That's the joy of giving. In this passage, we see, I believe, seven ways, seven places we can find joy in our giving, find reasons for joy in our giving. Paul starts out and says, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel... 
you shared with me. You shared the gospel. Number one, when you, uh, you find joy in giving because you're participating in the gospel. Verse 15 tells us that. And, and this is one way, one way for every person to be involved in making disciples. It is just one way, but it is a way. It's a very tangible way. It's a very real way. When you give to our church, you're helping to fill this baptistry. You're giving, yeah, I called the horse trough a baptistry. For a Sunday or two, that's what it's going to serve as. Your giving bought that. Your giving allows the children's ministry to function so that we have uh, one of our children being baptized. Your giving allows the youth ministry to function so that we have one of our youth who came up through the children's ministry being baptized. Your giving pays for hot water so this can be warm next Sunday morning instead of cold next Sunday morning. You, you bought the tank. You've paid for the building that this tank is in. The chairs you're sitting in. All of these are elements of the, the the spread of the gospel. Could we share the gospel without these things? Yes. The, the apostles did it. The disciples did it. They didn't have buildings like this. They met in homes. They, they took up, they, they had offerings for their churches, and they did ministry with those uh, offerings. But it all went to the gospel, the whole purpose. That's why I will say often that this building and the sanctuary and the education building and all the buildings, these are just tools. These are merely tools for the gospel. And when these tools wear out or no longer serve their purpose for the gospel, we get rid of those tools. And we use different tools because the point is, and purpose is not the tools but the gospel. It, Farmers used to plow by mule and, and, and single, single plow. Did, did any of y'all here, have any of y'all ever walked behind a mule? Oh, the years I spent walking by, I've never done that. But gradually, technology changed. And so no longer did the mule and, and the single plow fit the need. They had to move forward. What was the purpose? Grow food. But the tools change to do it. Regularly, it changes. And that's what we have to do. That's why this stuff is just tools. So when you give, you are participating in the gospel by supplying the tools, sharpening the tools, making the tools better. But that is not the only way. Let's not get trapped here and say, oh, good, I can give, and that's all I have to do. No, because I knew somebody might think that, so I'll put this on there too. Not the only way for you to be involved in making disciples. Money giving is one way. You can't just write a check and say you're done. But when we give, we're giving to many, many different opportunities for the gospel to be shared. Number two, the second reason for you to find joy in giving is you may be the only one giving. A number of years ago, I heard a, a, a someone, and I cannot think of who it was now, say, if everyone gave like you give, what would our ministries look like? If everyone gave like you, what would our church look like? What would our ministries look like? Do you give generously or do you give miserly? Do you give freely or do you designate your money? Do you give infrequently or do you give regularly? Do you give joyfully or do you give begrudgingly? If everybody gave the way you give, what would our church look like? And hopefully... There are a lot of you that go or are thinking, man, we'd be really well off if everybody gave like me. Good. Hopefully, there are a lot of you saying, everybody would smile every time they put money in that offering plate because I smile every time I put money in that offering plate. Hopefully, that's what all of you are thinking. But I'm not in your heads. 
You may be the only one. Paul told the Philippians, you know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, when I left the area, he's referring to Philippi in Macedonia, because Thessalonica is also in Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Now, we know, as I said at the beginning, Paul preferred the churches, especially when they were there, when he was there in the town. He preferred them not to support him there. That's why he was a tent maker. That's why he had a job. He didn't want, any, he didn't want to be beholden to anyone. He didn't want anyone to be able to say, well, you need to not say that or not say this or we'll stop supporting you. He, he, was, he was making sure there are no strings on me. I ain't your Pinocchio, all right? You cannot control the gospel message. But when he was traveling elsewhere, finances helped. He admits that. Look, I, I've learned to be fine with either way it comes, but the, the finances help. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. While he was in Thessalonica, he would not have expected the Thessalonians to help him to pay for it. They were, he was bringing the gospel to them. There wouldn't have been churches and Christians to support the work there. The only place that supported him while he was there was Philippi. So if we go back to that question, if everyone gave like you, what would our ministries look like? If you were the only one to give, would you still do it? Or could it be that your gift is the gift that pushes something over the edge? Go from can't do it to can do it because you gave. Because you gave generously and freely and frequently and joyfully. We are told in Scripture that none of it and all of it depends on us. The Lord is in charge. God is supreme. God is sovereign. And what He decrees, His will will be done. But, so we could sit back and say, well, I don't have to do anything. God's going to take care of it. Yet that is not what the Bible says we are to do. We are to give and work and disciple people like the next Baptism depends on you. Could it be that your gift, your next offering, is the one offering, the final straw that allows a ministry to go forward? Now, I'm, I'm not the TV preacher saying, you sow a seed of faith. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm asking, I'm saying this is a very practical matter that dollars add up and do yours add up to helping the ministries of the church? Because the next baptism does depend on you. It depends on our giving, our working, and our discipling among each other. You find joy in the giving when you realize you might be the only one giving to that ministry, giving to that church. Third, you find joy in giving when you realize that you will fill in the gap for others. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Now, we kind of already covered this. You're giving when other people aren't, but don't just think of it as giving when other people aren't or won't, but you may be giving when other people can't. Ministry that you don't directly benefit from will thrive when you give to that ministry. For example, youth, number one, youth and children's ministry does not bring in cash. Youth and children's ministry are cash suckers just the way it is. And just looking at faces around here, most of y'all are not in children's and youth ministry as far as your participation, as far as, your, as the focus of that ministry is concerned. So most of y'all will never benefit from the youth and the children's ministries. You're, you're, you're not going to go to camp again. Uh, you're not going to be out here playing um, 
slip and slide kickball. I mean, you're welcome to. I'm going to come and watch some of that. I'm just telling you. But you're probably not going to be. Uh, you, you won't be doing uh, scavenger hunts around town with the kids. There are a lot of things that you, because of your situation in life, because of your age, you are never going to take part of again in youth and children's ministry. And that actually kind of makes me sad. I, I loved camp as a kid. But just because you don't directly benefit from it doesn't mean that, that ministry shouldn't thrive. And your participation in that by, in part, giving, in part, praying, and many of you, in part, participating by volunteering, speaking of, the more kids that come to Awana, the more adult leaders we need for Awana, the more youth that come to youth on Wednesday nights, the more leaders we need for youth. It's a wonderful problem to have, but it is one that we're beginning to face. Your giving to that allows that ministry to thrive. I, we can say things like, nine, five years ago we had nine and today we have 26 because you've given over the years. And we, we've seen some ups and downs. We, we saw some of that increase when Jordan was here and then a, a little bit of a drop-off when he left and Tom has taken that baton from him and is doing a wonderful job with it. And some of you will never see these children, these youth, as serving, giving, and equipping adults in our church. You, you, you just, you probably, some of you, some of us won't be around to see that anymore for various reasons, and yet you still give to equip this so that this grows into the next generation of leaders in our church. You are standing in the gap by your giving to bring this group along so that someday they stand in the gap to bring the next group along. We do the same thing as a church when we tithe on the money you give to us to the cooperative program. We stand in the gap for people around the world, people around the country. You stand in the gap for seminary students like me, like Etta, who pay a lot less for our uh, master's and doctoral degrees because you give to the cooperative program. You pay for missionaries to go around the world and next door because you give to the cooperative program. Back to what I was talking about with the executive committee and decisions they have made recently to not obey the will of 15,000 messengers in the Nashville uh, annual meeting. The, the withholding of money from the executive committee is a common topic right now among churches. Of the money you give, if we give $100 to the cooperative program, 65 of those dollars stay in Louisiana, 35 of those dollars go to Nashville, to the Southern Baptist Convention, and then a little less than 3% of that $35 is that, is that $9? No, that's 90 cents, right? Something like that. Anybody good at math? Am I, I'm certainly, everybody is shaking their head. No, we got no math magicians in here. Okay, anyway... Uh, 3% of that money goes to the executive committee. Uh, I'm not going to, uh-huh, about a dollar, okay. Uh, I'm not going to talk about what uh, all they do or don't do, but the concern is they're not listening to the, to the churches. Now, here's, here, here's a, an analogy for you. If y'all as a church voted for the church to do something... The analogy I've used is if y'all voted to have a, a carpet committee and the carpet committee uh, was put together and y'all said, all right, carpet committee, you pick the color, you pick the style, you put it down in the you, you pick the, the, the carpet store and stewardship committee, y'all write the check. Whatever it is, we got the money, we're not worried about it, we need carpet. Church votes, aye, everybody does it. And then... The carpet committee goes and gets the store and the carpet and the style and says it's X amount. And the stewardship committee comes along and says, 
Well, we've hired an interior designer to tell us that it's not a good idea to buy that carpet. So we're not going to write the check. We're not going to pay for the carpet. Are you, as the church people, going to be happy about that? The answer is going to be no, most likely. That's sort of what's going on right now. That's a very simplified way. I don't want to get into all of that this morning. But the concern is that that money right now that we're giving to the executive committee, some churches believe this, could be better used by an international missionary. That dollar would be better going to the International Mission Board or a seminary than to the executive committee who's not going to do the will of the, the people, of the churches. So, you're probably sitting there thinking, because this is what I'm thinking as I preach the message and as I prepare the message. Now, Michael, you're saying that we just give, but if it's the executive committee, we don't just give. We withhold our money. Isn't, aren't you talking out of both sides of your mouth here, Mr. Man? And I would say a little. But I would also say that if at any point our church voted to do something and I said, no, we're not doing that, well, then at that point, y'all should talk with your money. If I go against the expressed will of the church that's been voted on, no, you, you have the right to say we're not going to give to a ministry, to a church, to, to a, a budget that isn't doing what, we voted or is doing what we voted them not to do or vice versa isn't doing what we voted them to do the thing is we vote for a budget every year so every time you vote for it you you vote for the ministries that we're planning all right i digressed there but i wanted to now let's get back on where we are in talking about the cooperative program i felt like i needed to explain some of that to you, and I may have created more questions than answers, but that's actually not a bad thing. So when you give, when we give to the cooperative program, we are standing in the gap for the people in South Sudan where there aren't Christians, or very, very, very few, that can't support their pastor, can't support their ministry, and we're standing in the gap for those. We're standing in the gap for those who, the widows of uh, that Jesus talked about that put their two pennies in. Two pennies going to fund a missionary? No, but that is a gift, an offering. Paul says a fragrance a, a, a to, up to God. So two pennies won't do it, but your money alongside those two pennies, it will. Number four, let's move on from that. Number four, reason you can find joy in giving is because you are storing up your treasure. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account, the fruit that is your, to your account. Paul was thankful. Paul was thankful that the people gave, that the church in Philippi gave to his ministry, but he could not have cared less about getting an offering. Years ago, at a previous church, I had a, I, I didn't do it. I came into the church, and this was already planned. The church had a group called the Power Team come to their church. Do any of y'all remember the Power Team? Oh, I see some hands. They, after we had them for a week, we were not happy with the Power Team for any number of reasons. I won't get into all of them this morning. But their evening uh, of, of this revival event was spent doing some feat of strength, lifting something, ooh, look, straining to do something that the next morning when they had to readjust everything, put it back the way it was, you know, those big heavy wood logs that they were picking up, and they strain, and then the next, you know, we had to move it back to where it was on the stage, they would just go. It wasn't that they weren't heavy, they were it was that it didn't take nearly as much effort. So, for one thing, it was a lot of showmanship. That's, that's a good word. So it was a little bit of show, and it was, you need to give to this ministry, because every love offering went to them, not to the church. You need to give, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give, Jesus loves you, feet of strength. 
You need to give, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give. Jesus loves you. Be your strength. And that was the evening. It was all about, their ministry was all about funding the ministry. Did they want to see people saved? Absolutely. I, I do not doubt that a bit. But their, their purpose in the moment was to make sure they were funded, this trip was funded, so the next trip could be funded. Compare that to Paul. Paul says, I'm going on a trip. I'm going to share the gospel in these places. Y'all want to give to it? Great. You don't want to give to it? Meh. I've learned either way to be happy. I am content no matter what. I'm going out with the gospel. He did not care about receiving the offering. He didn't care what the plate was going to look like at the end of the night. He cared about the eternal result of them giving. Every penny you give to a church has an eternal result. Chairs have an, an eternal result? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, it, you may not think of it, but, you know, comfy behinds are more receptive to the message than uncomfy behinds. So, cushy chairs are better than not cushy chairs. Does that make a difference? It does. Do we have to have it? No. But if God provides, we do. But it doesn't just have an eternal result on the ministries, on who hears the gospel, on children's and youth and other ministries that we do. It has an eternal, eternal result for you. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit. I seek the treasure that you're storing up where moth and rust doesn't decay. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. We are told over and over in Scripture in various ways. So the joy in giving is knowing I am investing in my own eternity. Is that going to look like jewels and crowns? Is that going to look like houses? And I don't know what that's going to look like in heaven, but I do know that our gifts, though we may never see any sort of uh, return on investment ROI in this life, and we may never see anything but a tax break from the government, I do know we will be blessed by our obedience. Set up, set, store your treasures in heaven. Have this, see this, understand that you are having an uh, uh, a increase in your account with the Lord. But Paul is not, he's not just talking about eternal either. There is a temporal result. There is a right now in this life result of our, uh, of our giving. I see it all the time. I see it in my own life regularly, as regularly as yesterday, and I see it in other people's lives. And, and as a matter of fact, Paul is going to get to this in verse 19, so I don't want to give it away yet. Let's see what else he has to say first. Number five, Paul tells us that your giving is to God. Verse 18, but I have received everything in full. I've got all I need. I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. I've got everything I need, Paul says. So what, how is he going to characterize this gift? A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He's thankful, Right? He explains of, uh, what it has done for him. I've got everything I need. But what is his focus on their gift? His focus on their gift is that it is a sacrifice to God. Fragrant offering, acceptable, and pleasing. Those are three pretty high praises for a love offering. It's such a high, phrase, a high praise that this, this phrase, fragrant offering is used at least twice by Paul, once in Ephesians 5.2, to speak of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So do you, do you hear the, the, the language that Paul is using? Our giving, while qualitatively, it doesn't match Jesus' giving of his life on the cross, quantitatively, or at least as God sees it, it is a similar sacrifice. 
In Romans 12.1, Paul uses similar language for uh, laying our, down our lives a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. So Paul, right here, compares giving, or, yeah, compares and giving to Jesus giving his life to us giving our lives. There's, Paul's putting a lot of emphasis on our giving here. Because giving is a spiritual activity. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, we're told in Scripture. Giving is a spiritual activity. Giving is no less important than prayer, evangelism, worship, Bible reading, etc. It is one of the disciplines of a Christian life. It is a fragrant, uh, fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and it is pleasing to the Lord. And in the case of the Philippians, it was an actual sacrifice. When he was writing to the Corinthians, talking about their unwillingness to give out of their wealth, he mentions the Macedonians, the Philippians, who gave out of their poverty. Y'all have so much, and you won't give hardly anything. And he said the Philippians, or the, the Macedonians, he didn't narrow it down to the church, the Macedonians have nothing, and they gave anyway. Because it's a spiritual activity. It is your heart that leads you to give or not give in a certain way. Number six, you can find the joy in giving because you'll be supplied by God. You know you're storing up treasure. You know that the benefit is not just taxes or return on investment. The benefit is that God will supply your every need. Verse 19, and my God will supply. He's using language that he just used. Paul said in verse 18, I'm fully supplied. Y'all have fully supplied me. But let me tell you, because of your giving, because of your obedience, because of your faithfulness, God will fully supply, same words, your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You will be supplied by God. I, I've used this analogy before. If, if I, I, a couple of years ago, I think, if, if I tell you, you I'm going to pay all of your bills or all your bills are going to be drafted from my account, you're not going to get that excited. You're going to be like, okay, Thanks. But if I tell you instead the account they're going to be drafted from is the owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, well, now you're thinking, well, all right, I know all my bills are going to clear the bank. The richest man in the world with some $100 billion wealth, fortune, I know that my power bill and car note and house note and all those things ain't going to have a problem. He's never going to know that money's gone. That is the riches in glory that Paul is talking about. Your needs will be supplied. We're going to send your bills to God's account. He will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. This is a promise from God. This is why I'm saying it's temporal. So if I tell you, if you just sow a $1,000 seed of faith in First Baptist Church of Sulphur, God will return that tenfold to you. I'm a liar and a charlatan and a fake, and y'all best have not just 66% to fire me, but you better have 100% if I, if I start preaching that. Get me out of here. But if I tell you that if you are obedient and you give, God will supply all your needs, I am merely quoting a promise from God. You will be supplied. So I will ask you, do you not believe Scripture? You can't give, and, and y'all, I, 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 I saw it, I'm telling you, I saw it yesterday in my own life, working on this sermon, and I get to this passage, and I know of things that are going on in our financial lives, and things that are coming up, and things that have happened, and, and I, I'm literally sitting at the computer yesterday afternoon, I use Quicken for my checking accounts, I'm sitting at basically at the computer doing this, and I know this is coming, that's coming, this, and, and I just, and then I start working on my, finishing up my sermon, and I get to that passage, and, and, and I hear, hey, Michael, it's God. Are you reading what I'm telling you to read? 
Are you listening to the words that are about to come out? Are you listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth? That's a throwback to rush hour. Some of you got it. The rest of you are just thinking I'm nuts. Are you listening to me, boy? I am now. It's a promise. And the supply is from God. He owns it all, and he can give you whatever part of all of it that he wants to give you. So it hurts. It's unnerving. You're giving out of poverty or whatever. God has promised to supply your needs. The, the, the promise, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change, I'm going to turn it just a little bit so we see a different uh, reflection from the facets. If God has promised you and 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 you and, you and, and, and all of you and, and individuals as members of the body that he will supply all of your needs individually according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is the promise to you, the members of the body. What does that mean for the body? The family of First Baptist Church, Sulphur. What does that mean for us as a church, as a body? I actually want an answer this time. He will supply our needs. Because if he is supplying my need and your need and your need and your need and telling us to give generously, to, to give joyously, to, to, take, to share in the work of the gospel, then whatever we give will meet the need of our church. This is not, it's, it's not an easy day-to-day -day thing, especially when Carol sends the, the financial statement at the end of the month, and, and I look at it and go, our God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, I've got, to, I've got to almost say that out loud sometimes. But the promise is still true. And if the promise is to me and the promise is to you, then the promise is true. To us, our church functions within. Remember, he's writing to this, this to a church anyway. Our church functions in and believes this same promise. We're getting to budget planning time. As a matter of fact, we're a few weeks behind, maybe a month behind. We're, but it's in. It's going. And our budget is going to be according to our riches and not glory unreachable. Just tell you right, that right now. It's going to be bad. It's, it's gonna, there's going to be, Michael, there's, there's not the, the money for this year that, has, that we're going to uh, 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 put up against a budget. Those things aren't going to match. I'm just telling you, letting you know. And we know. And yet, if we are doing the ministries God has called us to, and you are giving to the ministries that God has called us to. God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It, the promise doesn't change because we live in sulfur. The promise doesn't change because we had a hurricane. The promise doesn't change. As a matter of fact... I've told you before, the promise has actually been fulfilled in our lives because we had a hurricane and because we had a pandemic. God has provided. Finally, you find joy in giving because you're worshiping God. Paul, after saying, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ uh, and glory in Christ Jesus, cannot help himself but break out in praise. Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and again, yesterday, in, in all that I was doing and thinking and looking at with the money, that was the end result at the end of the night. Last night was all uh, to, God, uh, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Praise because of his supply. Paul knows that when we give, we are worshiping God. First, the promise. That's what he's immediately referring to. The promise is a cause for worship. And when Paul 
uh, states the promise, he is led immediately to worship because of promise, the promise. But the actual act of giving is worshiping. It says he's a, it's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Sacrifices, you remember, were all about, were all part of the worship of, in the temple, the worship of the Jews. The act of giving is a cause for worship. When you give, when other give, others give, it should lead you to praise the God who provides. When we receive a gift from some unknown place, it should cause us to worship. And then the result of giving is a cause for worship. Baptistries have to be bought because we're not in the building where the baptistry is. That's a cause for worship. I am so thankful we had to spend $200 on that horse trough because we had needed to baptize some people. And we didn't have our baptistry, and I don't want to take us all down to spar, so we spent 200 bucks so we could baptize somebody right here in our hollowed-out but nearly completed gym. I'm thankful that we got to spend the money and that we had the money to spend and that most importantly, that signifies kingdom growth. And when you gave to buy that trough, it increased your heavenly account. It increases our heavenly account. We can know the joy of giving. But it's a mindset change and a heart change. We have to begin to look at giving as joyful, as part of the kingdom work. Not our money that we're deciding where it goes, but God's money that we're just giving back to him. That's the joy of giving. But the truth is, you will never know, know the joy of giving. You'll never be, as Paul ends the letter, the saint in Christ Jesus. You'll never be a brother with him until you know the joy of salvation. If Jesus isn't your focus, if Jesus isn't your number one, then giving will always be a chore or an ends to a mean. Uh, no, a means to an end. It's a tax break or it's a return on investment. But if you know Jesus, your giving is a joy. And you'll never know the joy of that until you know the joy of a life wholly given over to following Jesus. Jesus is why we give. It's why Paul didn't berate, didn't guilt, didn't even ask for money. He asked that you know the joy of giving as you further know the joy of your salvation. And salvation only comes through Jesus Christ, a relationship with him. You want to know joy in giving, no joy in Jesus. It begins with a sad reality that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And that sin has brought death to us. But our gift, our promise, another promise of Scripture, which, by the way, most of you in here have believed. You believe the promise that Jesus saves you, but do we struggle to believe the promise that God will supply all our needs? Same God, same book, same promises. The promise is that life can be, uh, eternal life comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. He proved that while he, by dying for us on the cross while we were sinners. And if we uh, will call on him, any one of you, it does not matter who you are, it does not matter your past, you call the name of the Lord, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will know the joy of salvation. You'll know the joy of giving. As crazy as it sounds, with Jesus, you know the joy of pandemics and hurricanes. You know the joy of trials. You know the joy of suffering. You know the joy of life. And the only way to find joy in life is through Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have provided joy. Joy, not happiness, not, not comfort, but joy. Joy that says whatever the situation is, I choose joy. 
because of what wells up in me. Jesus wells up in me. We pray that you would be the source of our joy when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to working, when it comes to giving, that we would do all those things for your glory. We work as unto the Lord. We give as unto the Lord. We serve as unto the Lord. We pray, we worship, because it's all about you. So, Lord, we pray that we would find joy in our giving, that we would seek to honor you, to be a part of the gospel work, the kingdom growth, that we would see not what we give and, and the, the, the financial pain or strain, but the joy of being able to give freely and saying, Lord, it's all yours anyway. Here, take it, use it as you will. God, we pray this morning for our convention and the issues going on there. Lord, I pray that the, the concerns about finances and, and decisions that have to be made will not be an issue because decisions will be made that are appropriate on Tuesday. We ask for your hand there. And we thank you that you continue to bring small celebrations to our church, that we can continue to see you work, we continue to move forward as you draw us, as you lead us, and as we are obedient to the vision and the ministry you've given us here in Sulphur and as we can reaching around the world. God, thank you for your presence this morning. And I pray that some lost soul who does not have the joy of salvation, does not have the joy of life, does not have true joy, will find that joy is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, and making him our Lord and our Savior. We praise these things in his name. Amen. So in this time of response, I pray that you would find the joy again. Maybe it's become burdensome, giving. Maybe, maybe you're tired of hearing about it. Maybe, maybe you're just, I, I don't know. I don't. But I know that God says, find joy in giving. Let him have it. It's a lot easier to give when you don't think you have to control the world. I mean, it, that's life's a lot easier, right? When I, when I don't think I have to control it anymore, I just do. I'm obedient. I do what I'm told. It works out better. That's, that's what giving your life to Jesus is anyway. God, I don't have the answers. I can't save myself. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Let's stand and let's sing. And whatever decision God has on your heart, make it. If you want to pray with Tom, he's back there at the Welcome Center. Uh, Lee and uh, Kirk, uh, two of our deacons, are back on the back wall. They'd love to pray with you as well. And I keep expecting the music to start, but I'm the music.